Welcome to episode 10 of An Unscripted Woman, a podcast that's all about women living luminous lives. I'm Leo Cooper Jepson, and I'm so glad you're here. Since releasing my book at the end of 2015, many of you have expressed a desire to hear me read an audio version of my book, Unscripted, A Woman's Living Prayer. This podcast is my creative response to that desire. Each week, I'll be reading a chapter from my book aloud on this podcast, and then I'll be riffing a bit on what I'm aware of and what I've learned since writing it. To make it easier to follow along, you'll find that each episode of this podcast corresponds to the title of each chapter of my book. And I'll remind you, you don't necessarily need to listen to the podcast in order, much like you don't necessarily need to read the chapters of my book in order. Beyond that intention, I'm not entirely sure where this podcast will go, but I'm willing to find out if you are. I hope you'll join me, and here's how. Follow this podcast on SoundCloud or subscribe to it via iTunes so that each new episode will appear magically in your podcast feed. If you follow my blog or my She Changes Facebook page, you'll see each episode posted out there as well. As always, you can find out more about me and my business at SheChanges.com. So here we go. Chapter 10, Naturally Striving. And the quote at the top, I have been running so sweaty my whole life, urgent for a finish line, and I have been missing the rapture this whole time of being forever incomplete, Alanis Morissette. I'll never forget the exact moment my midwife gave me the green light to push when I was in labor with my first child. Seriously, the only thing missing from that moment was a starter's gunshot. I was off and pushing hard for everything I was worth. What I didn't realize then was that I would be doing this for the next six and a half hours. With every contraction, I would bear down as if everything in my life had been leading up to this moment, as if I could physically will this baby out of my body. And if I had been told in that moment that I would continue to do this for another six plus hours, I would have rallied as if it were an endurance race or something. I was in it to win it and victory would soon be mine. I just felt it in my bones. My hips, however, were telling a very different story, playing a rather lengthy game of the hokey pokey with a good-sized baby who kept getting fetched up on something inside me. I felt good. I felt strong and confident I was making progress. I had slammed my eyes shut the minute I started pushing, and hours later, they were still shut tightly in focused concentration. I was a goddess. I was a fierce warrior. I was Gaia and Mother Earth. I was a force. I was a mother. I was a badass. My husband Todd, on the other hand, grew paler by the minute, apparently as I had my eyes closed. Here's what he saw for that same stretch of time. No progress. Just the top of our son's head moving in and out and in and out and in and out as I moaned and rocked, my eyes getting puffier and my body growing more weary. But luckily, I had a midwife, and we were in the hospital, so I was allowed to do my thing, and he was comforted by the plan B just around the corner if my thing didn't work out. And sure enough, gently, after about 20 minutes, my midwife suggested that I wait for each contraction to rise to its climax before pushing. Let it build, she said, and work with the contraction. I distinctly recall hearing that instruction from my midwife and thinking, wait, what? 
It was a radical notion to wrap my brain around, even in the face of all the classes that had prepared me for this moment, that I didn't have to push hard every moment, but could choose to be more strategic about it. It almost felt like cheating. But I trusted this woman immensely, allowing her to guide me through my next contraction, hearing her voice whisper in my ear, let it build, let it build, let it build, before finally encouraging me to push right at the peak of the contraction. I got it. It was weird, but I finally got it. And that became my new mantra for the next six hours, which is why I probably still remember it. As I would wait and resist the primal urge to push until the absolute height of a contraction, I would moan, let it build, let it build, let it build, let it build, for even days after that experience. And happily, it worked. Our son Cooper finally made his appearance into the world. To this day, when I see my midwife, she likes to remind me of my first words after that first baby came out of me. I cannot wait to do that again. And it's true, birthing has always remained a powerful metaphor for me. And it makes sense that I ended up creating work in the world that enabled me to touch it daily. I work with my clients in that midwife capacity as they give birth to another version of themselves or their business. When I think back to that experience of birthing my first son, I realize now what it taught me about how I moved through life until that point. Force and concentrated effort had been my default mode. But that birthing experience taught me what it looks and feels like to be both forceful and yielding in the same body, to push and bear down in one moment, and then to allow and yield in the next moment. Pushing is natural for me. Yielding is not. Not doing something, rising, rallying, responding, is hard work for me. And I know I'm not alone in this. For many women, not doing something is the hardest something we can imagine. Unplugging and chilling on vacation is one thing. But as far as my day-to-day -day life, I find that resisting the urge to be constantly doing something or productive requires a fair degree of intention and consciousness. In her book, The Desire Map, Danielle Laporte writes about her own tendency to reach and push and go after things in her life. She tells the story of being at a dinner party and running into Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy, an author and writer who's best known as Sark. Upon seeing her, Danielle said, tell me anything. Like, what's your thing these days? Anything. Sark looked at her and said, no striving, and went on to explain how she had given it up. Danielle writes that she gasped audibly at the prospect of giving up striving, and the two of them giggled like pretty witches. Putting aside my envy at not being there to giggle with them, I will say that that same notion, giving up striving, makes me gasp a bit as well. And I find myself sighing even now as I write those word, these words, which tells me I have been striving for a very long time. It's as if I'm in a constant state of preparation or readiness and never quite there. I got a perfect illustration of what this has felt like in my body when I took my youngest son to the Cumberland County Fair early last fall. It was a blazing hot day, and we had to walk past all the carnival rides and fried food stands to get to the animal part of the fair, the part he was most interested in. We came across a crowd 
filling the stands in anticipation of a show, so we stopped to see what it was all about. A bull was trapped in the confines of this little stall, bucking and snorting and kicking, just itching to break free and get out into the open arena. But before he could, a bull rider had to jump on his back in the stall, further aggravating the bull's frustration. You could just feel the pressure and the intensity mounting in that moment. I thought back to my midwife telling me not to push. I thought back to being told I was too young to be considered a director in my first job. I thought back to my intense desire to start my own business while being stuck in my corporate job. I thought back to the sense of feeling meant to write a book, yet staring at the blinking cursor on the blank page. I looked at my youngest son and said, I get that bull. At which point the gates flew open and the bull promptly threw off the rider, managing to look both relieved and smug at the same time. You know the fable about the tortoise and the hare? I've always secretly rooted for the hare. I know the turtle is wiser, more patient, and certainly strategic, but the hare just seems to have, seems like she has more fun. That bushy tail, the sassy attitude, the outward confidence, the witty banter, and the speed. Don't even get me started on that. But I'm believing, I'm beginning to change my tune a bit. I'm thinking the tortoise might have an interesting idea. I'm not thick. I get that this, the moral of the story. It's just that I never thought it would be remotely appealing to me. Training for triathlons and most recently half marathons, I've often joked that my mind is writing checks my body can't cash. In my mind, I'm that rabbit moving from here to there and back again with grace and ease. But if you were to replay the videotape of the rabbit a bit, she looks a little tired, bordering on frantic, certainly anaerobic. And who am I kidding? It's not just about triathlons. It's about how I'm choosing to live my life. Fast, a hare's way. But a while ago, I worked with a master swim coach who attempted to train me using my heart rate as a guide, my hare's heart rate. The idea was to swim and then count your heartbeats for six seconds, aiming to fall within a particular range, a range that I missed by a country mile every time. Swim slower, she said. So I'd head out for another lap, doing my best to swim slower. And I still wouldn't hit my mark. Finally, thoroughly frustrated and still anaerobic, I asked, so slower is better? No, she responded, efficient is better. Oh, going fast and continuously striving was one thing, but being inefficient, that had my attention. That was the beginning of seeing how my energies were actually working against me having me pushed to the point of becoming ineffective. That experience was echoed later that summer. Here are the facts of the story. My husband had an MRI for an injured knee and learned that he had some weird cysts growing on his knee joint. Upon further testing, one of the growths, they were careful not to call them tumors, had actually grown through the bone. Because of his family history, his two sisters and mom have had breast cancer, His surgeon referred him to an orthopedic oncologist down at Mass General for a closer look. Here's what I heard. Todd has cancer. We're just finding it now, but it's actually metastasized, and now it's in his bones. It's going to be bad, ugly, and hard. He's going to die. Your boys will be devastated and will never recover. You will be left alone and will need to shut down your business as a result. Get ready. 
And just like that, fear took center stage and I braced for impact. All of this went down during our two-week vacation that August. Lots of time and space to think, which most definitely didn't work to my advantage. Enter stage left, imagination. We camped out with the kids while Todd left for the morning and got an MRI. I made mental lists, Googled bone cancer on my BlackBerry, and made a note to write down his social security number, which I can never seem to remember. We rented a cottage on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire and swam and played with the kids and waited for the surgeon's phone call, enter stage right, anticipation, with the results of the second MRI, which took days to come back, followed by even more days of phone tag. I took pictures of Todd with the kids, all the while thinking of how much they would treasure these when he was not around. I began to distance myself from my husband. Here is my life partner, my beloved, the light of my life, and the very time he needed me most, my initial reaction was to detach emotionally. I began thinking about my mom and all the other single moms I knew. What's more pathetic, I began to identify with them. It feels awful and painful to admit this, but there you have it, raw, real. But here's where it all turned around. During the appointment at Mass General, the oncologist took one look at my husband's MRI results and pronounced it, nothing for us to worry about. I burst into tears, uncontrollably sobbing, snot running the whole nine yards. The doctor looked at me knowingly and said, oh, you took this one for a long walk, didn't you? I stopped cold. Yes, it's true. I had played out the worst case scenario in my mind, not as a possibility, but as a foregone conclusion. I cringed, given what I believe about the law of attraction and how our thoughts can shape our reality. But as I sat in that doctor's office holding my husband's warm hand, I had another shocking realization. I'd been taking things for long walks my whole life. The aftermath of that eventful summer was both intense and extremely illuminating. I've always considered myself comfortable with being vulnerable. I see it as a strength, a gateway to learning, an immense and immensely powerful tool for connection and intimacy. But this last lesson revealed to me that I was just scratching at the surface of my capacity to make myself vulnerable. So I watched Brene Brown's TED Talk on the power of vulnerability again and gained some insight as to where I might be getting stuck. I soon learned that I had fallen into the trap of numbing vulnerability. Rather than opening myself up to its full Monty impact, instead of letting myself be really, really scared, I got defensive and ready to fight. Put another way, I allowed my masculine energy to stay in the same seat it had been in for most of my life, the driver's seat, with hands firmly on the steering wheel. Instead of allowing myself to feel vulnerable, I clamored for control. An understandable human response? Sure, you could make a case for that. But if I'm honest with myself, those are my trademark and go-to responses when I'm running away from something. I was desperately trying to selectively numb emotion, something Brene Brown says we have a tendency to do in our society. It seems I had some emotions in my yes, I'll feel that list, but many more on the no way in hell will I feel that list. I've come to realize by numbing the bad stuff, 
I was in inadvertently numbing the good stuff. Apparently, it's a package deal. Brene Brown talks about her own journey into exploring her capacity to be vulnerable as a year-long street fight. Vulnerability pushed, she pushed back. She admits she lost the fight, but won back her life as a result. That's what I want, not the street fight, although anyone who knows me well is chuckling at this right now because if they found themselves in a street fight, I'm probably the first person they'd call. But to win back my life, I want to live wholeheartedly and access the limitless joy that's just beyond my reach and waiting for me. And deep down, I know I'm capable of so much more than I allow myself to feel. But most of all, I don't want to waste my precious life energy by taking any more unnecessary walks. And I'm not, I'm not sure how that looks, but I'm pretty certain it begins and ends with staying put and resisting the urge to flee. So that's chapter 10 of my book entitled Naturally Striving. And here's a little bit of a riff on what I'm aware of since writing that. And it's such a timely chapter as I sit here now reading this because life just moves in cycles. And I would love to say, oh, you know, I got that lesson and then I forgot that lesson. I learned it again and that was it. I'll never forget it again. And what I'm so keenly aware of now is that is going to be something I will be remembering and forgetting for the rest of my life. That that balance, if you will, between bearing down at the height of a contraction, which is going to be my natural default, my hair's way, it's my greatest strength as an entrepreneur, as a mother, as everything. It's my greatest strength. I rise to occasions really well. And as a result of that, I'm needing to tend constantly to the capacity that lies on the inverse of that, which is yielding, which is moving slowly, which is waiting, staying in stillness, um, and being with all the things that scare the living shit out of me. And I'm so aware of this right now because I'm at a crossroads again in my life. Having written this book, I'm feeling another book come. And I'm just barely having contractions, barely. I'm having a Braxton Hicks, probably, contractions. And I'm here on a retreat right now, a writing retreat, and all I want to do is bear down and get this book out of me. Well, guess what? That's not how it happens for me, and I know this. So the fact that I'm reading this chapter on this retreat is so um, apropos of taking my own medicine. But here's what I'm aware of now is that um, I, w how that works for me to yield is that I need to pull in the horizon. And I just spoke about this last week. I did, um, I told a story as part of the Sound Bites series up in the Frontier Cafe in Brunswick. And it was so amazing because I, t I was so grateful for this opportunity. The story that I was telling how was that for so much of my life, I have been looking for signs, and I've used my eyes to guide my life, literally looking what's coming, noticing signs, noticing what's around me. And I was commenting on stage how tired my eyes are, like they've been propped open, 
like those creepy guys from Clockwork Orange movie who have their eyes propped open with toothpicks. And everything in my psyche and my consciousness, my intuition right now at this time in my life is saying, Lael, close your eyes. Can you trust even more deeply? Can you be guided through your life without your vision? Or do you trust yourself that much? And so as I was telling this story this night, I didn't, I didn't share this on stage because the insight hit me right after I got off. It was, I've never been more rattled on a stage, which is my comfort zone typically, than I was last Thursday night telling this story. And here's why. During intermission, they had turned down the audience lights and turned up the spotlight of the speaker on stage. And I was also told, do not move from the microphone. You have to keep your mouth pretty much right on the microphone because it was streamed to main public radio and it was being videotaped and you couldn't step away from the mic, which somehow I translated as to you couldn't move your body, which anybody that knows me knows that I gesticulate wildly and I, there's a physicality to me telling a story or living my life that is, seems like a necessity. It's also how I remember it's how I remember who I am and what I want to say when I'm on stage. So I looked out from that stage last Thursday, and I was blind. I could not see a soul. I could only see. I couldn't see the front row. I couldn't see a face. All I could see was this gleaming microphone right in front of me and a white hot spotlight right above me, and I swear I felt like I was just talking to God. And it was the wildest experience because here I was saying that I wanted to close my eyes and I wanted to trust myself that much. And it's like all the um, circumstances com conspired to grant me my wish on stage publicly and the audience wasn't even aware this was happening. So all of these things are swirling around me right now that are having forcing me to yield. And the story of my husband and that scare that we had with that tumor on his knee is mirrored so closely by this August. So that was two years later. Um, he crushed his forearm, and I've written about this in my blog if you want the backstory on that, but he was taking out of commission for two months. And then, um, and, and then so that slowed, that brought our life to a screeching halt. And then at the same time, I was training. Here I was training for a half marathon again, and I had just run nine and a half miles. I came home. I walked into our dining room, and I cracked my toe on a bench, and I, I shattered my toe. And, I, and that's the third time that I have done that in my life. And every time, it's come right at the juncture of a critical transition in my life. So all of these messages again and again let it build, let it build, let it build. Slow down, move slowly. Um, and I realized at the end of this chapter, I talk about the realization that I had of taking things for a long walk my whole life. And for the first time in rereading the chapter that I wrote of the story that I lived, I'm so keenly aware that it, it, it implies the necessity of a leash. And I've been taking things for long walks. And it occurred to me, what if I were to unleash whatever it is that's guiding me? And I didn't just have it, I wasn't just taking it for a long walk. I was sort of following where it was guiding me.
and trusting that I would be able to follow it without a leash, without me somehow exerting control over my life. And so that's what I'm aware of now, and I know I'm not alone. It's this intersection I'm playing at of spirituality, creativity, and um, movement, and how I how that looks to me in my life. And I know so many of you, if you're listening to this, are right at the same place. And I know how scary it is. And I know how much trust it requires. So I want to let you know, if you're feeling alone, that you're not. There's a whole revolution happening of people doing this. So my invitation for you is to talk more about it, like I do, and to share your experience because all it takes, much like my stories and my book and my blog and this podcast, is all it takes is for one other person to not realize they're alone for them to take themselves so seriously. So my ask of you today is to be that other person, to tell your story of wanting to slow down, of wanting to trust, of wanting to unleash, and of wanting to um, let it build and for trusting that much and tell the story of how scary that is. And, and, and in my own life, and when I was talking about Brene Brown and how she talks about vulnerability, the thing that I am so aware of now more than ever is it never stops. It keeps coming. It's not a one-time event, this reckoning with vulnerability. It is a constant thing that you revisit, and every time it's a deeper level. And so that's where I am right now. Right where this chapter is, is where I am personally and professionally. So in case you're there today, as you're listening to this, I want to let you know you're not alone. Okay then, thanks for listening to this episode. And here's to living unscripted, for having access to more of who we are, and letting our bright lights shine, shine freely. Go ahead, be luminous.